One more time at Isaiah 9, 6. Peace is something that every single one of us search for. We all search for it. We all want more of it. We all want more peace, and we search for it in all sorts of different types of places. We search for it in our job. We search for it in financial um, security, through happiness, through relaxation. The list goes on and on of so many different types of ways that we search to find some type of peace in our life because we're unhappy. So I got curious this week as I began to prepare my sermon, and I went on um, the I went on Google and I searched, "How do I find peace?" Because I wanted to see how much information was out there to give me so that I can find peace in my life. And when I typed in, "How do I find peace?" and hit search, I didn't find peace. I found stress, because here's how many search results came up. For the, for the search, how do I find peace? 1,420,000,000 results for how do I find peace? What I want us to discover today is that there are not 1 billion ways that we can find peace. There's one way we can find peace, and that's through Jesus. And that's what I want us to discover today, is that Jesus is our only source of peace. He's our only source of hope. So as we look at Isaiah 9, 6, as we look at the Prince of Peace, I want us to see that, what, that because of what Jesus has done for us, the peace of God is ava- available for you today. It's here for you today. That there's no more searching, there's no more wandering, there's no more hoping, but the peace of God is here for you today. So let me pray for us, and we're going to get right into our text this morning. God, we love you. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you for your son, for bringing him down to earth for us. He's our only hope. He's our only joy. And as we see this morning, he's our only peace. So God, right now, as so many of us are searching for some type of peace, begin to calm our hearts, calm our souls, so that we can find peace in you. And as the video said, you will restore us. Because when you bring peace into our hearts, you restore our souls as well. And that's what we need right now. From you. So would you work in our hearts in these next few moments that we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we look at the idea of Jesus being the Prince of Peace, I want us to see first the price of peace. I want us to see the price of peace. We learned in the video that the word for peace is shalom. It means a sense of restoration or bringing to a state of completeness. Jesus is our prince of peace. The word for prince is a commander or a ruler, someone in charge who has authority. Jesus is the commander of peace in our lives. Luke 2.14 that we read on Friday night tells us that Jesus came to make peace on earth. That is why he came. But we also know that peace is not free. It costs to both reconcile and restore. 
We learn in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 that as God created man and woman in his image, they were restored to a complete peace with God in the garden, right? There was no sin, there was no fallen nature, no sinful nature. It was Adam and Eve and God in the garden in complete peace. But something happened as we flip to Genesis 3. They ate of the fruit and sin entered into the world. And the peace that they had with God is now broken apart. They're searching for peace. While they, while they dwelled within peace, they now lost it because of what they did in the garden. As you fast forward throughout the whole Old Testament, you see illustration after illustration of the people of God searching for peace. And God tells them, it only comes through me, and they search for so many other things. There's a separation between God and man. We then fast forward to the New Testament and we learn from the Apostle Paul in Romans 8. And he says that the mind of the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law and it won't and it cannot do so. So what he's saying is our minds, our fleshly minds are so far separated from God that nothing we could ever do could bridge that gap. So we have a massive problem. From Genesis 3 to our time, we need the peace of God and we can't do it on our own. Because of our sin, we're hostile to God and we need to make a way back to peace with him. So as we turn back to our passage today, to Isaiah 9, 6, we find out that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the commander of peace. And that sounds great, doesn't it? And it is great. But how is it great for us? Right? Because we, anybody can claim that they are something, but how is that actually good news? How does that apply to us? Why is it good news that Jesus is the Prince of Peace? Because if you keep reading in the book of Isaiah, we get to Isaiah 53, and they prophesy about, Isaiah, about Jesus, and we learn that Jesus is not just the Prince of Peace, but he's also the Suffering Servant. So he's not just the commander of peace, he's the suffering servant for us. And we learn that apart from the saving grace of God, we're enemies of him. But Jesus, being the prince of peace and the suffering servant, has made a way that we can come into a relationship with him and have the, re have the peace restored back to its original state. And this is why the cross of Christ is not just optional. It can't be. The cross of Christ is not just optional, but it's necessary. And if we're going to enjoy real peace with God, it's only, it only comes through one way. It will not come by God ignoring our sins or making light of it or trying to push it under a rug to make sure nobody figures it out. It only comes by the precious blood of the Lamb. It comes with God dealing with our sin. And that's precisely what he's done through the birth of the child and the gift of the son, the one whom we rightly call the Prince of Peace and our suffering servant. God put an end to the hostility between God and man because it, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, bore the cross for us. See, the price of peace was so steep that we couldn't even pay it. 
is so steep we can't even attempt to pay it. Because we try to so many times with all of our good works and our actions and our thoughts. And if I can just please Jesus enough or do enough things or be nice to enough people, then maybe the price will be paid for. And Jesus says, stop it. The price of peace has been paid for on the cross. It's already been paid for. Stop trying to pay for the meal that's already been paid. Because of what Jesus has done, he's made a way for us to have peace with him through the blood of the cross. That is the price of peace. Jesus dying on the cross for the weight of our sins so that we could be restored, so that we could have peace back to God. I want to ask you this morning, do you know that peace? Have you experienced that peace? Have you embraced Christ by faith to find it, to find this peace? So you're no longer searching, you're no longer wondering and wandering of where this peace comes from. Have you said yes to Jesus? This is the best Christmas gift you could ever receive, eternal life from Jesus, for Jesus, for eternity. This is the peace of God, the price of peace that's been paid for you. So not only do we see the price of peace, but secondly and finally, I want us to look at the practice of peace. What does peace with God actually look like? What does peace with God look like? Where does it go? And we'll be able to see it actually in practice. Several years ago, when Sarah and I lived in Texas, we went up to Wichita to visit our family and we packed up the car, and you can imagine we were five and a half hours. Uh, it took us about five and a half hours to get there. So as we were packing up from Wichita, we kept asking each other, like, are you sure you have everything? Clothes, toothbrush, phone, phone charger, the list goes on and on. Asking each other several times if we have everything. We pack up the car. We're on our way back to Texas. We're in the car for an hour or two hours. I'm driving. Sarah's in the passenger seat in panic enters her voice, and she says, I think I left my phone in Wichita. Awesome. So I'm frustrated because I don't want to turn around and lose so many hours to go get the phone, and she's frazzled. She's searching through her purse. I'm looking through the console as best as I can, and I said, okay, it could be in any one of these bags. Let's use your Apple Watch, and we'll ping the phone, and hopefully it's here. If it's not here, it's in Wichita, and we'll turn them around, and I guess we'll just go get it. She pulls up her watch. She hits the button that pings it. This silly phone is sitting on the dash in the GPS mount right in front of our faces the whole time. In that moment, the embarrassing reality set in that what we were looking for was right in front of us the whole entire time. That was a situation. It was right in front of us the whole time. We couldn't have missed it, but somehow we did. And instead of calmly looking for it, panic set in. And because of that panic, we weren't able to think clearly and open up my own eyes and look right in front of me and see it. The reality is, is that we look for peace in all the wrong places and forget that peace is right in front of our eyes. We look for all the, in all these situations and we forget that Jesus is our Prince of Peace. And that the peace that he offers is right in front of us, for us. 
See, we can't just lose the peace of God and then go searching for it again, hoping that we find it somehow. When we practice or exercise the peace of God, we recognize that it is here with us at all times, and it acts as a directional device for our lives. That is what the peace of God does for us. The peace of God is not just circumstantial, meaning that the, joy, the peace of God is not just here when we feel happy, right? It's not just in here in situations that um, make us feel good. And then when something bad happens in our life, the peace of God runs away and we can't find it anymore. The peace of God is rooted much more deeply than the circumstances and the situations in our lives. Because if the peace of God was rooted in the situations of our life, then when bad things happen, it's gone. And that also means that then God couldn't give us difficult situations to handle because then the peace of God would be gone and the whole uh, theology, the whole idea of God would dissipate. It would dissolve. So the peace of God is not just rooted, is not rooted in our circumstances, it's rooted much more deeply than that. God doesn't promise us a, um, a life free of conflict. He doesn't promise us a life of no difficult relationships or hard decisions. What he does promise us is in the midst of those situations, his peace will dwell within our hearts and within our lives. What he does promise us is deep personal and spiritual peace in this life in what is called his farewell discourse that we learned in our study of John, Jesus goes to his disciples. This is right before he was betrayed, crucified, and his resurrection, and Jesus got honest with his disciples. And he told them plainly that in this life you will have problems. But in John 16, verse 33, he also tells them, I have said these things so that you may have peace. Earlier in John chapter 14, verse 27, he told his disciples, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. When Jesus appeared to his disciples after the resurrection, do you remember what happened? His disciples, in fear of the Jews, are running and hiding, and they lock themselves in the room. And Jesus knocks on the door, doesn't he? Tells them to unlock the door. No, Jesus just comes right in. Through the locked door, Jesus comes in, and what does he say? Pull it together, guys. He doesn't say that. He says, have peace, have my peace. He says, peace be with you. John chapter 20, verse 19. What Jesus is showing them, that the peace of God dwells within them. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, the peace of God dwells within you as well. And it comes from Jesus. It doesn't come from our own works, from our own ideas. The peace of God is given by Jesus. This is the kind of peace that sustains us. It's the kind of peace that you long to have when the world feels like it's out of control. When you feel like you don't know what's going on, when the situations of life take a turn for the worst This is the kind of peace that Christians have always known in hard times. Then as we turn to Ephesians 2.14, 
This is encouraging news this morning. Ephesians 2.14, it says this, that Jesus is our peace. Jesus says it's better than our circumstances, better than our emotions, better than anything we can ever dream because Jesus is our peace. That's good news today. That's good news for you. That's good news for me. Because Jesus, the eternal Son of God, came to earth, born of a virgin. And here is why he came. Because our performance can't get it done. Because our performance can never give us the peace that our hearts desire. Because no matter how hard we try, as Romans 3 says, we all fall short of the glory of God. That's why he came. So now it's no longer an idea of performance, of works-based relationship with Jesus, but it's a theology or an understanding of shalom, of peace with God, of restoration, of God restoring us and resting in who he is. So that whether you are in a difficult situation or life seems to be going okay for you, you can rest in who Jesus says he is. So it's the peace of God that dwells in our lives that then flows into every other area of life. It's the peace of God that then extends into how we treat others, how we live with others. Romans 12, 18 says that if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Jesus living in our hearts gives us the ability to love others, to be at peace with others. In the same way that God has created peace with us, he says, go make that peace with others. So while it sounds good that we can be at peace with God, that doesn't just give us a free pass to live unpeaceably with those around us. Because we know that as, as best as it depends on us to then go make that peace with others. And here's what's cool about that. We live in a world that doesn't want to make peace. We do. And that extends to our personal lives too because we don't want to make peace. We want to be right. I know that hurts because it hurts my heart too. But here's what's special about that. When we let go of our own pride, when we let go of our own pride, and we say, I don't have to be right. It's not my responsibility to be right. It's my responsibility to live at peace with this person. The situation begins to change. Our hearts begin to change. The way we treat that person begins to change. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Jesus shows us how to love he shows us how to forgive. He shows us how to live at peace with people who hurt us. Because we saw the price of peace. We saw how separated we are from God. We saw how much we hurt God. We saw how much we disappoint God. And he said, I still love them enough that I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to restore the peace back together. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. That's why Jesus came to earth in order to restore us so that we can be in right standing with him. Have you experienced that peace? 
Have you seen that peace? If you haven't, I'm pleading with you. Today is your day to say yes to Jesus. To know what he's done on the cross for you. To believe it. To repent of your sins. To confess what you've done and believe in Jesus in your heart. The Bible says that if you do that, you will be saved. And it's my prayer for all of us that as Colossians 3.15 says, that we will let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Both with God and with others. That we will be the light. We will be the example of peace. Because if we won't be the example, who will? May the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Let's pray.